0: It's Monday, October 2nd, 2023, the 985th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'myourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month, and in doing so, you will be supporting me the work I do and this show as it expands. And if you can't, or you simply don't want to continue listening to the podcast for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms. And of course, Rumble, all I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So today let's get started Updating a couple of stories from last week, some new interesting wrinkles emerging over the weekend, and then we will get into a bit of this Trump trial in New York City brought by Letitia James. I went through Trump's deposition in this trial about a month ago and was threading it out on Twitter, all of the stuff about his properties and whatnot. Very entertaining read. And so we'll get into that in the second half of the show because I haven't really talked about it. And what better day could we ever find than today while Donald Trump is actually on trial in quotes. But first, last week, it was announced that Dianne Feinstein had died either Thursday night of last week, as was reported, or sometime prior. And when that happened, the speculation immediately began about who Gavin Newsom would choose to replace Senator Feinstein. He said that he was intending to choose a black woman who would be there through the elections in 2024, and then the voters chosen California senator would take over. It would be a temporary role, but it wouldn't have to be a temporary role. That's just the intent going in. Now, a lot of people suspected that Kamala Harris herself would go back to California, step down from the vice presidency, go back to California and be their senator as she was before. And that would allow them to easily slide someone new in on the Democratic ticket. And all of that is kind of a funny dynamic because the fact that that conversation happened last week is effective for us. It's effective for pushing the awakening forward because even devout Democrat Communist Party supporters, or you would have to think most of them at least, are probably a-okay with moving on from Kamala Harris as vice president with Joe Biden pretending to be president, knowing that he could basically go at any point, whether from his age and health, his dementia, or potentially being removed either by impeachment, probably not, or through the 25th Amendment. Everybody knows that the problem with all those theories from the Democrat perspective is that they then end up with Kamala Harris, who no one trusts. No one in the country believes this woman is competent or honest or intelligent, except, of course, the devout Communist Party members. But they don't even really want to go to bat for Kamala Harris. So every time these come up, it's basically a few day long conversation on how basically anything and everything would be better than Kamala Harris. The fact that the conversation was had at all says something pretty profound about the collective mindset. Virtually everyone understands that Kamala Harris is not a serious person. She is a drag on any political ticket. She is not by any means capable of being president of the United States of America. And hey, Maybe she can be the public face of the global regime for a little while and read some speeches, answer a couple questions here and there, as Joe Biden basically never does, and cackle a bunch. I'm sure that people are still telling her that that's what makes her so likable. And it's her likability factor beyond anything else. Hey, Kamala, the people know that you don't know what you're talking about. The people believe that you sound like a Dr. Seuss book. The people know that you did sexual and political favors to get where you are in your career. And long term, this thing is just not going to work out. That's not the sort of thing you would expect in this situation. There are three people running for California senator next year. Katie Porter, Adam Schiff and Barbara Lee. A normal, healthy political party would honor the service of their deceased senator, Diane Feinstein, a champion of women's rights, except for when those women are still in the wombs of other women and then those rights are not valid at all. A woman who made herself extraordinarily rich, earning a couple hundred thousand dollars a year as a senator and a woman who had a Chinese spy as her driver for 20 years. They would pay her all the honor and respect deserving of her position, plus so much more because obviously the appropriate amount is zero. Any respect and honor at all is already getting it wrong by going too high. Now, the other possibility bandied about last week was the one that I speculated as well. Michelle Obama being named by Gavin Newsom as the senator of California, which would set her up with first-hand political experience as they go into the 2024 election cycle, that very real election that we are definitely having next fall. Michelle Obama would be all tuned up for that competition. The senator from California. Do the Obamas have a property there? Yes, they do. Are they from California? Absolutely not. But hey, neither is the woman that Gavin chose, and we will get to that in a second. Now, through no fault of our own and no planning on our part, the narrative did become Diane Feinstein. Now it's been announced that she died either on the night of September 28th or at some time prior to that. And now Gavin Newsom must name her replacement. Could it be Kamala Harris? Could it be Michelle Obama? Both of those narratives are bad for Joe Biden, bad for Kamala Harris, and bad for people's perceived legitimacy of our government. So those to me, sound like win, win, win. And that is how we should think of these things. The idea that Gavin Newsom choosing this extraordinarily liberal abortion lady as senator is going to somehow make a difference in our politics and the policy by which our federal government, illegitimate as it is, attempts to govern us. That doesn't matter at all. What was he going to do? Appoint a staunch conservative and then that would help us? That would save us? The event itself doesn't matter. The narrative matters. It's not like these senators are doing their own work and coming up with their own ideas. They are implementing the agenda of the global regime, and they are trying to seem believable to the people who imagine they are voters throughout the entire experience. The event itself did not happen. Kamala Harris wasn't named. Michelle Obama wasn't named. But the conversation did happen, and not just in our circles. It happened in public. This isn't something the mainstream media failed to report on. They reported on who the potential replacements might be. And people talk about these things on their own. They all have dream candidates. And as I was saying, in the perfect world where all of this is real, California's chosen senatorial candidate for Gavin Newsom to pick should have come from among the three people actually vying for that position in next year's very real election. Gavin Newsom had a chance to be kingmaker and give someone a serious head start in that California Senate race, but he didn't do that. And why not? That's the real question. Donald Trump spoke in California in Huntington Beach on Friday night of last week, and it was a spectacular speech. It was absolutely hilarious. And I know that some people don't think Donald Trump is funny. Those people must be absolutely joyless because Trump is hilarious, especially considering the position he's in and the issues he's dealing with. That humor that he goes to basically all the time projects confidence and it taunts the enemy into making mistakes. Humor is a very valuable tool if you're able to use it well. And Trump has been using it well for a very long time. Now, I was thinking of just playing the Adam Schiff part, but the truth is it's all really funny. So I'm going to play this three minute segment from Trump's speech in California on Friday night, addressing the current state of things in the Golden State.
1: Stand up to crazy Nancy Pelosi who ruined San Francisco. How's her husband doing, by the way? Anybody know? And she's against building a wall at our border, even though she has a wall around her house, which obviously didn't do a very good job. But then you have Kamala Harris. She's great. Gavin Newsom, who is a really — I mean, I watched him the other night with Sean Hannity trying to say that California is wonderful. It's not wonderful. We all know it. It was wonderful, it could be wonderful again, but right now, it's really a mess. Maxine Waters, very nice woman, very, very nice. How come she can say things so violently? You will go in and attack them in a restaurant, you'll do this, that, nothing happens. If I say peacefully and patriotically, oh, there's an insurrection going on here. Maxine Waters, if I ever spoke like her, it would be the electric chair times 15 for me. The man who fell in love with a Chinese spy that they wouldn't take off their top committee, most important committee, Eric Swalwell. What a loser. And then you have, of course, my favorite, Shifty Adam Schiff, Pencil Neck. He's known for one thing, the world's smallest neck. You ever see? I call him Penciler. If you touched him, his neck would break. And we will defeat their corrupt California political machine. No, Shifty Schiff is really, I mean, he is a sick person, that guy. Looks like he won't be your next senator anymore because he'll have somebody else put in and then he won't be able to run. Purgatory! Ah, that's too bad. I don't know that he would have won anyway, but now he probably won't be able to run and he won't run against certain people because he wants to be politically correct, except when it comes to doing numbers on Republicans and keeping it going and hurting our country. But uh, it would look to me like he won't be there, but he's a disaster, that guy. They're all disaster. Crazy Nancy is a total disaster. She's nuts. Remember her with the beauty parlor, walking through the beauty parlor? Nobody else is to have their hair done. <laughs> then you have her. I, I don't know what happened to the owner of the beauty... You know, she's a big mega person. How about that? Think Nancy? think Nancy was thrilled when she learned that the owner of that beauty parlor where they taped her walking through with the hair and the halter, everyone else is like home. Using suds on the hair like I do.
0: But the most interesting part of that clip to me was his comments about Adam Schiff and the potential for Adam Schiff to end up being senator. He basically said it's not going to happen. Somebody else is going to get it. And then Adam Schiff won't even be able to run for the congressional seat that he has been holding. So he'll have given up the seat with no chance of winning the Senate seat, and then he will just be stuck in purgatory. So sad. Now, Donald Trump is usually pretty good at predicting these things, and I guess we will find out what happens with old Shifty Schiff. But now Barack Hussein Obama has come out himself to address Claims that Big Mike might potentially be running for president. This is the Daily Mail last night. Barack Obama stays silent when asked if wife Michelle is running for president amid rumors and they caught him on a paparazzi camera.
1: Barack, is Michelle running for president? Mr. president? May we have an autograph? have a photo,
0: Barack? Now, I first want to say this is not news. As someone who has been outside of these places and dealt with paparazzi probably thousands of times in my life, I can tell you, you might notice on the video. But Barack Obama is not paying attention to these guys at all. Now, was it a setup that someone would come out and ask that and Barack would say nothing? The fact that this is being reported on suggests that maybe it is or maybe it's just high quality clickbait, they think. But Barack Obama just basically came out and got into the car. What the paparazzi says from 20 or 30 feet away while the snap of those flashbulbs is going off. And while people are talking over one another, very likely there are people talking to Barack Obama with his focus on something other than the paparazzi. So this isn't news except for the fact that they decided to make it news. So then the question only becomes, who did that? Was it a setup to put that idea in the public consciousness? Hey, maybe, or maybe not. Maybe it was just a perfectly innocent question by a paparazzo that had been thinking last week about chances that Michelle Obama might be inserted into the presidential conversation because of the death of Diane Feinstein. Or like I said, maybe it's just clickbait. So Gavin Newsom did name a black woman to replace Diane Feinstein for at least a year. And this woman's name is Lafonza Butler. And because this is a new character for virtually everybody, let's find out a little bit about her. This is the Los Angeles Times in the evening yesterday. On Sunday evening, news dropped that Governor Gavin Newsom planned to fill Diane Feinstein's vacated Senate seat with political insider and EMILY's List president Lafonza Butler. Butler, 44, is the first out gay person to represent California in the Senate. What an achievement. Also, what is she worried about abortion for? then. Her career spans the political, corporate, academic, and labor worlds. Before joining Emily's List, a political organization dedicated to electing women to political office, she served as director of public policy and campaigns at Airbnb and partnered with the political consulting firm SCRB Strategies, now Bear Star Strategies, whose clients included Newsom, former Oakland Mayor Libby Schaff, and then-Senator Kamala Harris. The firm is run by the governor's veteran strategists, A. Smith, Sean Clegg, and Juan Rodriguez. Butler also served for more than a decade as President of Service Employees International Union Local 2015, which represents more than 325,000 nursing home and home care workers throughout California. SEIU Local 2015 is the largest union in California and the largest local representing long-term care workers in the country. Now, that's kind of interesting because it was just back in 2020 when we had that whole COVID thing, that very deadly pandemic, and the place most people died was in nursing homes. That was also the site of massive election fraud. It's kind of incredible that the person who ran that union is now the unelected senator from California. She was also a senior advisor to Vice President Kamala Harris's presidential campaign. And what a job she did. In 2018, Butler was appointed as a UC regent by Governor Jerry Brown, post she held until 2021. She sat on the board of the National Child Advocacy Organization, the Children's Defense Fund. And you have to expect that she is defending children from not being aborted. Political Action Committee Black Pack and the Bay Area Economic Council Institute Think Tank. She's a former director for the Board of Governors of the Los Angeles branch of the Federal Reserve System. What in the world is going on with this lady? Is she like a secret agent? This is the most diverse set of jobs you could ever imagine. This is like. Yevgeny Pregosian, LaFonza Butler, huh? That's who they went with. I guess we're creating a new political star. And just interestingly, on the same day, there's some SEO manipulation potentially going on with this LaFonza Butler thing because NBA player Jimmy Butler attended some press event in like an emo wig pretending to be an emo kid. He was basically dressed up for the first day of talking to the media for media day in the NBA. And that's getting all sorts of headlines. It's trending on Twitter. Oh, such exciting news. LaFonza Butler, the first out gay black woman to ever be in the California Senate. And it's getting overshadowed when you search Butler by an NBA player in a wig that makes him look like a goth kid. Butler was born in Magnolia, Mississippi. Her father died after a series of heart attacks when she was 16, leaving her mother to work as many as three jobs at once to support her three children. She received her bachelor's degree in political science from Jackson State University, a historically black college, where she told The Times' Mark Barabach in 2021, she was inspired by her instructors, many of whom were veterans of the civil rights movement. They instilled within her a bent toward activism and a commitment to social justice, she said. What are you doing for freedom? That was always the question, Butler recalled to Barabach. What are you doing for freedom today? She sounds exactly like Kamala Harris. Butler moved to California in 2009 after serving as a labor organizer for nurses in Baltimore and Milwaukee, janitors in Philadelphia, and hospital workers in New Haven, Connecticut. She told Barabach that her experience in the labor movement had prepared her for politics by teaching her, quote, the patience of playing a long game and knowing how to have wins along the way, end quote. Brilliant. Butler lives in Maryland with her partner, Naneki Lee, and their daughter. It says that in the Los Angeles Times, as they are announcing that Butler is the new California senator. The Los Angeles Times article says Butler lives in Maryland with her partner, Naneki Lee, and their daughter. But let's learn a little more about the very interesting LaFonza Butler. This is from her Wikipedia page. It says LaFonza Romanique Butler, born nineteen seventy-eight or nineteen seventy-nine, is an American politician who currently is a United States Senator designate. Why are we not able to nail down a birth date on a U.S. senator? Now, I don't expect that this will remain this way for long or that no one can find what her birth date is. But it's just a little weird. Pretty much everything is a little weird these days. For more on LaFonza Butler, this is the Daily Signal. This is the pro-abortion activist Newsom chose to replace Feinstein. California Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom has chosen LaFonda Butler, a pro-abortion activist, Democratic strategist, and former labor union boss, to fill the late Dianne Feinstein Senate seat. Butler is the president of EMILY's List, one of the top pro-abortion groups in the country seeking to elect pro-abortion females into office. She has expressed support for the Radical Women's Health Protection Act, a bill that would codify Roe v. Wade and massively expand abortions in the United States. Emily's List spent $112 million during the 2020 presidential election cycle and partnered with Planned Parenthood to raise $150 million in the 2022 midterm cycle. Well, that's pretty extraordinary. $262 million in the span of about two years spent on electing women to politics. That's how this was described by the Los Angeles Times. They did not say it was an abortion advocacy group. They said a political organization dedicated to electing women to political office. That's the full extent of the LA Times' description of what Emily's List is. But somehow this organization that just seeks to elect more women in politics gets to facilitate the spending of $262 million in two election cycles, while the person running it was also the nursing home union lady. Plus, she lives in Maryland and was registered to vote in Maryland just last year. And now she's going to be the unelected senator from California. Now, obviously, we have not even had this news for 24 hours So it's going to be interesting to see how this story develops, but on its face, it looks like the Democrats had an opportunity to make a really big splash with their pick, or perhaps to be a kingmaker with one of the people vying for that Senate seat last year. Give one of them a bit of a head start, allow them to run as the incumbent going into that cycle next year, and instead we have Lafonza Butler, a person who was a virtual unknown, until yesterday. But she worked with a PR firm handling Gavin Newsom, and she worked on Kamala Harris's campaign. So that means she basically lives in California, I guess. But again, let's focus on the outcomes here. Does this event push the awakening forward or does it hinder it? I would say that this pushes the awakening forward. Someone who doesn't even live in California has just been named California's senator. How much more illegitimate can our government become? Now, I also want to update on the Ron DeSantis story. Last week, he attended the second fake GOP primary debate and proceeded to lose it to all the other six competitors. I said contestants the other day. Competitors, same difference. It's not a game. You're supposed to be telling people why you should be president and you subject yourself to this clown show where Fox News script readers ask you who should be voted off the proverbial island. All of it is a joke. Ron DeSantis was around 30% in the polling back when this all began last November. And here we are 11 months later. He is struggling to hang on to double digits in most polls. He does not have 50% of the non-Trump vote, according to these polls. And he has now lost two debates, not only to everyone there, but to Donald Trump, who was not there. He is almost certain to lose a debate to Gavin Newsom, who was taunting him last week, pointing out that Ron took the bait of doing this debate in the first place because, as Gavin noted, he's not even running for president. Ron just wants someone to talk to so that people will pay attention to him because he can't get attention any other way because he's a terrible candidate. But then Ron also lost a debate to Bill Maher. He did Bill Maher's show on Friday night and came out of that looking terrible. Ron DeSantis didn't even decisively win his debate against Charlie Crist for governor last year. And Charlie Crist was set up there as a punching bag for Ron DeSantis. The Democrats didn't try to create a new star, someone to go against Ron on that stage. They gave the nomination to an old school Democratic political hack who used to be a Republican. But Ron was always going to win that election, so why bother running a real candidate? Now, some people are saying that Ron did okay in these debates. He may not have won them, but he certainly wasn't in last place. I would argue that is wrong. Ron is in last place. As I said, a year ago, and now he's struggling to hang on to double digits. He's in third place in some states, fourth place in some states. There was a poll that had him in fifth place in New Hampshire last week. Every time Ron goes out in front of the American public, he looks smaller, whinier, more petty, more unprepared. Absolutely not what the TV had sold us for the last three years. Ron DeSantis is a myth for all intents and purposes. The other candidates are at least letting the country know who they are. People took Doug Burgum seriously on that stage last week. And Burgum is the governor of North Dakota and a businessman who was not by any means a national name just a couple of months ago. So Doug Burgum is actually improving his lot. So is Vivek Ramaswamy. Even Nikki Haley is getting better reviews than Ron DeSantis. Mike Pence has no business being up there in the first place, no matter what the truth of January 6th ultimately ends up being. Tim Scott, everybody's like, oh, well, you know, Tim Scott seems like a nice guy. Does he? Maybe he does. Maybe Tim Scott's a great guy. But the truth is, Tim Scott is a zero. And Chris Christie is just up there to be an attack dog against Trump because Ron Santis can't do that without pissing off MAGA. No one in MAGA likes Chris Christie, so he's able to talk about Trump like that the entire time. And no one's going to get mad at him because it's not like MAGA cares what Chris Christie says. Ron DeSantis can't go after Donald Trump. So Con Inc. has Chris Christie and the others do it for him. Doesn't really speak too well to Ron DeSantis' character, now does it? Does he defend Donald Trump at any moment? No, he sure does not. So Ron DeSantis has effectively destroyed his career. He will never get another MAGA vote. If Donald Trump comes out and says, hey, everybody, this was all a show. I needed Ron to expose all these rhinos among the donor class and the media class and the RNC. And Ron actually took one for the team. He really is a great guy. And I'm sorry he had to go through that. Then maybe MAGA will vote for Ron DeSantis in the future at some point. Otherwise, Ron DeSantis is finished. There is no scenario where the GOP establishment just gets all of MAGA back under that wing of the party. They've tried to say that MAGA is destroying the Republican party. And okay, if that happens, so be it. Why do we need a party? And there was disagreement about this from back in the days of the founders. Parties aren't some necessity to our politics. Why can't we just vote for the person? who has the interests of the American people front and center, someone who is competent, someone who understands the needs of normal Americans, someone who is committed to governing based on constitutional authority and federalism. And people are like, well, if you let the Republicans go down, then the Democrats will win. Well, no, the Democrat party's not doing any better. Are we really supposed to pretend that the Democrat party is in good shape right now? with Joe Biden, with Kamala Harris. Do they really want us to vet Barack Obama by putting Michelle Obama up there? Do they really want us to vet Gavin Newsom? They just named a woman from Maryland as California Senator for potentially only 15 months. There are polls showing Donald Trump to be up over Biden by 10 points. And that's while Biden is indicting him and his justice department called Parents of school children, domestic terrorists, the censorship, the propaganda, the immigration problem, the Afghanistan withdrawal, the Ukraine war. The Democrat Party is a shambles. We would be better off with zero political parties. That is just a fact. We don't need all of this money going to these private corporations. And that's what they are. The DNC and the RNC are private corporations whose business is to run candidates for political office. And people pay them to get the right candidates installed in political office through fake elections. They are not an important part of the democratic process. They are private corporations whose goal is to tell us what we must do and say and support so that their needs are met vis-a-vis their donors. The problems that arise by doing away with the political parties are all solvable problems in a relatively short amount of time. The problems that come with having these political parties cement themselves in American politics forever, and we allow the uniparty system of election fraud to remain in place forever. That's the end of the country. That's the size of problem that is. We can figure out how to get ballot access, I'm certain. So Ron DeSantis went on Bill Maher's show real time on Friday night for the sit-down interview at the beginning of the show. Not part of the panel. He gets 10 minutes up front, and they just have a nice little interview, a nice conversation. Bill Maher pointed out to Ron DeSantis that Ron DeSantis would not be there if it weren't for the fact that his campaign is struggling in a major way. So it should be pretty clear what Ron DeSantis is doing there. He is there to deliver the message to elitist centrists that unless they put aside their attachment to Joe Biden and consider voting for the centrist Republican, which is what Ron DeSantis is branding himself to be, they're going to end up with Donald Trump again. Ron DeSantis is in Hollywood on the Bill Maher show courting wannabe elite fake centrists. That is what he's doing. He wants that Democrat vote. People out there think, no, Ron DeSantis is the smiter of wokeness. He's the one who's going to take on the regime. Just look what he did to Disney World. He would never get the votes of Democrats. Yes, he would. Yes, he would. He would be presented To them as a smart and responsible alternative. And of course, the point is that they are still working to elevate Gavin Newsom and Ron DeSantis so that they will face off. The centrist wannabe elites in the mainstream media, places like The Daily Wire and The Blaze and MSNBC and CNN, they will talk about how this is the public conversation America wants to have. The leftist viewpoint against the Against a true conservative with true conservative values, blah, blah, blah. And so the idea is to elevate them as alternatives to Biden and Trump. It does not matter how much those leftists and the Hollywood types will defend Joe Biden against a conservative or will defend Joe Biden when it comes to certain issues and policies and priorities as part of the agenda. They do not want Joe Biden back because they know that Joe Biden makes them look foolish. They want an alternative from Joe Biden that never forces them to admit how foolish they were to support Biden in the first place. Shuffle Joe Biden right off the stage, replace him with Gavin Newsom or Big Mike or someone else. And they can just get behind that person, never admitting ever that it was wrong to support Joe Biden. At that point, it won't even matter if Joe Biden is found guilty for all of his family's many crimes. They will tell everybody that that's all in the past and that the thing is, as good people, we need to be focused on the future. We need to be looking forward, looking ahead, because that's where all the important stuff is. We don't want to look back on the past where we all pretended that masks and lockdowns worked and that it was a good idea to segregate society and force people to take an experimental gene therapy. We don't want to look back where we covered up election fraud and we covered up and censored the people trying to tell us about the corruption of the political candidate we were supporting. They don't want to go back. And look at any of that stuff. Get Biden out. Bring someone in. You have your perfect dichotomy between Newsom and Ron DeSantis, and everybody can move on. And establishment Republican wannabe elite, fake centrists feel the same way about this. This is a party of false decorum issue, and looking through that lens will always show you the truth about these situations. All of those people in the uniparty right think that they were right the entire time about all of these issues— relative to the uniparty left, and they don't want anybody to notice that any of us even exist and that we were saying all of these things and supporting positions that they all called conspiracy theories or irresponsible or extreme in some way. They preached responsibility to us and presented themselves as the responsible conservative voice so that those on the uniparty left might take them seriously and give them more power and more social credit. And that dynamic certainly has not changed. That's as relevant as it was back in 2020. You get rid of Donald Trump, replace him with Ron DeSantis, and all the things that they were wrong about immediately go away. Then the Uniparty right can join with their friends on the Uniparty left and continue their project of marginalizing MAGA America First viewpoints. If Ron DeSantis wins and Republicans win next year, guess what that means to all of conservative incorporated media? They solved the problem of election fraud. Don't believe me? Let's hear Ron DeSantis on Bill Maher's show the other night. Well, to, to look. quote the Godfather.
1: <laughs> but you oh. campaigned for, for election deniers in 2022. This I do not forgive. Well, to, look, to quote the Godfather. <laughs> I, I, I mean, Carrie Lake, who said Biden's an illegitimate president.
2: Trump didn't. Well, now she's attacking me, so maybe I did make a mistake there, because uh, she's out there saying she, she's she's trying to say that we mandated vaccines in Florida when we did the opposite. We protected people even from private mandates. So, so, so that may have been. But Trump but, lost the election, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. So how about that? Ron DeSantis on stage in front of a national television audience on HBO, a place where he can reach liberals with his message. And rather than sticking up for election integrity in this country, he pretends that there is no problem at all in the first place. Bill Maher tells him it is unforgivable that Ron even supported Carrie Lake last year because she's an election denier. And then DeSantis switches the subject and he talks about Kerry Lake attacking him, talking about their vaccine program in Florida. And there was a vaccine program in Florida. Ron was encouraging people getting the shots. He went out and did events. There was one that I point out rather often where he went around and began giving first access to these shots to veterans of World War II and Holocaust survivors. He actually went around focused on the only people with a living memory of World War II. And now everyone who supports Ron talks about how those vaccines are bad and dangerous and tries to blame them on Donald Trump when they were the people out there getting them and supporting them and telling everybody else to go get them. Ben Shapiro, go get the vaccine, dopes. You can go back in these people's tweets and see that they said these things. They supported getting the vaccine. They proudly announced their own taking of the vaccine. But Ron tries to switch subjects. And then Bill Maher just simply asks, but Joe Biden really did win, right? Yeah, yeah, Ron says. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's not even talk about that subject. Joe Biden definitely received 81 million real lawful American votes. I said from the beginning. That this movement would be committed to denying election fraud. And that is what they are. It is with the candidate now, it is on national television. Now, I said this would happen 11 months ago. Is it because I'm good at predicting things? Well, part of that is true. But it's also just the logical conclusion of understanding where we are going, the directionality of what is happening right now in this awakening process. We know that we are going to get to the end of these stories. If Ron DeSantis is going to put himself up as a candidate for president, then he's going to get vetted by MAGA and he's going to get vetted by Anans and other people online who are going to dig very deep into everything available about a candidate. At some point, the conversation about election fraud was bound to come up. Now, I started bringing it up 11 months ago to all of the DeSantis simps, all of Ron's supporters online. And they still have not come up with a good response to that because there is no good response to it. The regime stole the election so Donald Trump would not continue to be president. Donald Trump is the threat. They want Trump removed everything he represents, everything his supporters represent. Everything that is happening on the global stage that is preventing the one world global order from emerging successfully through this great reset and then into the 2030 agenda. Anything that is holding that back is a problem for them. And so they have waged a hate campaign, among other strategies, against Donald Trump and his supporters and the ideology and other countries around the world joined in that ideology and joined in this movement for sovereignty. That is the danger. That is why they steal elections. It's not so that people with D's next to their name can win and people with R's next to their name will lose. It's so they can get rid of Donald Trump and people like that. They want to be able to select the winners so they can implement their agenda. Nothing could be more obvious or logical. They have the power, they have the media, they can censor people, they control every element of the election process. We think that they're letting us vote as a favor or something. They're not doing that. They're deciding the winners of elections. Why would they do anything else other than that? And please don't say, oh, people would notice it. People involved in the process, they would understand and they would put a stop to it. No, no, they sure wouldn't. What's the proof of that? The fact that it's never, ever happened. Although to be fair, I will say there were a great many whistleblowers after the 2020 election. And I think in the future, we will understand that they did speak up and say something and that doing all of that was very effective. So for those people, they are excluded from my prior remarks. (laughs) But Ron DeSantis is now a full-fledged election fraud denier. He is just pretending that our elections are fine in this country. Because if he tells the truth about our elections and he says, yes, our elections are a problem and they've been a problem in Florida and they've been a problem in Florida in elections that chose me as the winner, you can't really do that, can you? And you sure can't say, I know our elections are stolen to get rid of Donald Trump and his movement, but I actually think that I am the better man to sort all that out so I would ask for your support. Then he's just announcing to everyone that the duly elected president, the actual winner of these elections just doesn't matter. He's attesting to the legitimacy of Katie Hobbs in Arizona and John Fetterman. Ron DeSantis is doing this. This isn't AOC doing this. This is Ron DeSantis supporting the election, the validity of the election of all these people. And Joe Biden, this is Ron DeSantis legitimizing the fake president on national television. It's not something else. It's not him guiding himself carefully through a politically thorny issue in a national television interview. This is him attempting to change the subject and then denying election fraud so that Bill Maher and his audience will like Ron better. Whose work is Ron doing here? If not the global regime, he is supporting their election fraud system. And to cap off this little segment on Ron DeSantis, let's listen to that other segment I was referring to earlier is you did not take my advice. What
1: was it? I was on this show a few times when we talked, I said, this guy's crazy to run this time.
0: He's, what are you, 45 years old? He yeah. just had a birthday, right? Yeah. You could run for the next 20 years, if you were Biden, the next 40.
1: <laughs>
0: okay, why run against Trump? You're trying to thread this needle, that will never happen.
2: Well, we, for w- a couple of you, reasons, you can't,
0: you can't disavow why? him because you, that's the base, and yet you're running against him. And that's why, I mean, let's face it, Ron, if this
1: if campaign was going well, you wouldn't be on this show.
2: Oh, that's not true. Um, I was so, um, one, I don't think he can win the election. Uh, I could win the election. Two, I don't think he could actually get the job done that we need to do. For example, COVID.
0: Kind of amazing, isn't it, that Ron is out there trying to appeal to disaffected liberals on the basis of COVID. Whatever the subject matter of the question, he steers it back toward COVID and just it again. Now, Bill Maher is right. Ron DeSantis wouldn't be there trying to appeal to liberals if his campaign had any chance of winning. And Bill Maher, later in that interview, actually said, you're the only guy that can defeat Trump. And there you have it. That is the point. Ron DeSantis is there to make it seem to liberals and wannabe elite members of the uniparty right that it is possible. For Ron to potentially beat Trump. But it's not possible. And Bill Maher is exactly correct in his analysis. Ron DeSantis has no chance of threading this needle. He cannot just go right up against MAGA because MAGA is the base of the Republican Party. It is Donald Trump's party until the party falls apart completely, if and when it does. But neither Ron DeSantis nor any of the other participants in the fake GOP primary debate or Glenn Youngkin are going to take power over the Republican Party back from Donald Trump. Not narratively speaking, not in the technicalities, not in any way at all. There is zero chance of that happening. And that, of course, is why Ron DeSantis's fans and supporters online are now openly hoping that Donald Trump will be imprisoned as a result of these fake indictments. And we will get back to that in one second. But first, the National Pulse published this on Saturday about one of DeSantis' key simps. This is one of the people who was in the DeSantis simp op from the very beginning, all the way back in January 2022, if not earlier. That was how long ago the DeSantis comms op was set up. And there are pictures of all these people down in Florida meeting. All of these key DeSantis simps were in those pictures with Ron and Christina Pushaw. They were in the governor's mansion. This is a coordinated communications effort. The headline in the National Pulse reads DeSantis booster Dave Rubin attacks Kerry Lake as an election denier. Ron DeSantis booster Dave Rubin has denounced Arizona Senate candidate Kerry Lake as an election denier. In the latest example of the Florida governor's camp weaponizing leftist smears against America First conservatives, Lake, who shared Donald Trump's concerns about the conduct of the 2020 election, became one of the election integrity movements leading lights after her own run for governor of Arizona, successfully exposing major flaws in mail-in ballot signature verification in the Grand Canyon state. By dismissing her as an election denier, Rubin chose to play into the leftist narrative that conservatives with concerns about mail-in ballots, voting machines, and other questionable elements in the election process are cranks. And they enclose a tweet from Dave Rubin, including a clip of Carrie Lake on the Patrick Bet David podcast. Rubin wrote, ouch, I've been unfollowed by election denier, Carrie Lake for sharing her obvious lies about Florida and DeSantis. Ironically, she came up to me at the debate yesterday and said, don't take it personally. Here's a parting gift, Carrie. And so he posted that clip. Ruben formerly identified with the progressive left hosting the hot gay comics podcast and working for the far left young Turks. That's Cenk Yuger's media outlet but began courting a conservative audience after Donald Trump's election in 2016, styling himself as a classical liberal. He has proven a strange fit for Team DeSantis with Jenna Ellis, one of the Florida governor's leading online surrogates, having previously criticized him for using a surrogate mother to procure children for himself and his gay husband. And all of that was Dave Rubin's origin story. He was a very bad stand-up comic, one of the least funny people ever, and I'm not sure he's ever said anything funny on his podcast. The dude has no sense of humor. He is unbelievably unfunny. And I was friends with a bunch of comedians in Los Angeles, and I tweeted at Dave Rubin way back when that Rubin calling himself a stand-up comic is insulting to the craft and work that is stand-up comedy. But he sure kept going with it, calling himself a stand-up comic. He was mentored in his interview process, he says, by Larry King. And he was a host on Young Turks before branching out to his own well-funded podcast, where he was immediately able to interview, quote-unquote, major players within, for instance, the intellectual dark web. All of the elite media groups, the elite think tanks, the professors, All of that immediately gravitate toward Dave Rubin's show. He helped Candace Owens become a household name. He helped the trans influencer Blair White increase her slash his popularity and obviously income. And then Dave Rubin became a classical liberal. He wrote a book called Don't Burn This Book. Dave Rubin has never said anything dangerous. His big coming out party was a video of him saying that he didn't leave the left. The left left him. Dave was the same guy he always had been, but the Democrat Party no longer represented his values as a classical liberal. Dave Rubin got gay married and he paid a woman to supply him with children so that he can raise them as if they're his own with his gay husband. Now let's put the social agenda politics aside for just a moment. Is that something that should happen in a good and moral society? Should women be paid to create babies so that two men can pretend to be those babies' parents? It seems like maybe we're at the point where we could explore the answer to that question actually just being no, but not yet. We have to go full Weimar before this begins to wrap itself up. Dave Rubin, who by all characteristics, except the people he interacts with, is just a regime uniparty left figure, is now treated as a thought leader among the uniparty right because he used to go on Joe Rogan and because he kind of pushed his way into being considered part of the intellectual dark web because all of those IDW figures would appear regularly on Dave Rubin's podcast. That's how Dave Rubin came to associate himself with the intellectual dark web. There is nothing intellectual about Dave Rubin. He is a dumb guy who does not have his own thoughts. His whole thing was learning something new on his show and then asking every single guest about it for the next year. He is now using the language of the left to marginalize MAGA. He is saying election denier. And it is a very, very strange strategy at this point. It smacks of desperation because we are getting closer and closer every day to the full exposure of all of this. They wanted Trump to just go away, to just ride off into that good night. He could simply concede and admit that they really won the election, and then he wouldn't be facing any of these legal troubles. He wouldn't be running for president again, quote unquote. And the party could just be handed over to Ron DeSantis, who would tell everybody after winning that our elections are really okay. In fact, we've fixed our elections in Texas and Georgia and Florida and in Virginia. And the GOP establishment has a brand new crop of great governors Glenn Youngkin, Brian Kemp, Ron DeSantis, now president, and of course, Greg Abbott. This is the new brand of conservatism. It's like the Republican version of the squad, and they will lead us into our non-Trump future. Just get rid of Donald Trump, get rid of MAGA, and all of that can bloom. Except Donald Trump's not going anywhere, and neither is MAGA. This is a real thing in the world that the Republican establishment is going to have to deal with at some point, kicking and screaming, I guess. We have Ron DeSantis's formal comms team and the candidate himself, denying election fraud, the comms team calling Kerry Lake, and by implication, everyone who understands our election problems, election deniers, embracing the talking points of the left. There is no future for that. Directionally, again, we are headed in the direction of the awakening. Well over 60% of this country already understands that cheating affects the outcome of our elections. And of course, the numbers are even higher among Republican voters. And yet the candidate of the establishment, the chosen and anointed candidate, all Ron had to do was perform. All his comms team had to do was relay a positive message about Ron DeSantis and create an effective gap between who and what Ron DeSantis is and what he would be with Donald Trump, who he is, what he will be. They failed to do that. Why? Because they spent... Three years at the intellectual kids table on Twitter, they learned about what the American people thought in a censored environment that cut out the voices of MAGA. And they know it's true and they still have not accounted for it. It has been a year since people began getting allowed back online. It's been a year for me on Twitter, a full year. And these guys have not figured it out that those outside voices, those voices from outside the bubble, might actually know what they're talking about and that you might not actually be able to just simply marginalize their viewpoints by calling people stupid. And the GOP establishment, the uniparty right has completely blown it with all of that. They thought we were dumb. They thought we were conspiracy theorists. They thought we were extremists. They thought they could marginalize us. And it has not worked out at all. There is no coming back from this. Now, I said that 11 months ago, there is no coming back for Ron DeSantis from running against Donald Trump unless Trump intentionally redeems him. And this was all some kayfabe op to expose the donor class and the GOP establishment. If that's the case, all good. But at this point, I think that we can probably admit that that is very likely not the case. If that is the case, then Ron DeSantis is the best actor ever. And hey, maybe that is the case because all of this is so inept and so overtly loserish that it seems like it has to be a setup. Ron DeSantis was on Bill Maher's set with his cowboy boots again. He always has to have those lifters in his shoes. They weren't always cowboy boots, but now he's moved to the cowboy boot thing because I guess he thinks that makes him look manly while his suit pants are bunched into the tops of his cowboy boots. Ron DeSantis is a ridiculous looking and awkward individual. He has a whiny little voice. He doesn't seem to have a real grasp on the issues. He has no clue. What American voters think, and this is supposed to be the savior of the Republican Party. Well, hey, GOP establishment, no one did this to you. You did it to yourselves. So let's get into what the Uniparty left and Uniparty right seem to believe is their best hope against Donald Trump, to remove Donald Trump from the picture, to remove MAGA from the conversation. They really believe that all of MAGA will just join up behind the Uniparty right candidate if Trump is removed that we'd all just then go vote for Ron DeSantis, obsessed with the Democrat-Republican paradigm. There is no chance that's happening. And people should really move beyond that kind of thinking because it's obsolete. It doesn't matter if you think that's the way it's going to be. The truth is, it is already not that way. And the only people who haven't realized that are the people in the uniparty right and the uniparty left. But they have to get rid of him somehow. So it's going to be through this series of indictments and then they're going to lock him up, lock him up. And we are all so scared that Donald Trump is going to be rotting in prison, as all the communists online always say. They think that they're really getting to us by talking about how Donald Trump's going to be locked up in prison. Hey, commies. No, he ain't. Are we going to have to see it at some point? Hey, maybe we will. But that's really pretty unlikely. If somehow these very real court cases go against him, then he will just win them on appeal later. It's really not a big deal, except in the narrative where it is the biggest possible deal. We are seeing a two tiered system of justice. We are seeing a global regime willing to prosecute their opponent on trumped up charges to remove him from the political equation. And this is very real on their side of it. You can hear it and read it in the voices and posts of their supporters of the uniparty left media and many of the uniparty left political candidates. They think Donald Trump is going to be locked up. They are gleeful about it. They think the entire thing is real. Donald Trump is guilty of everything he's been accused of. They believe that the court filings are themselves the evidence that Donald Trump is guilty of all these things. Because these people are politically illiterate. They're just repeating what they saw on television and what they read online. And I will get in a second to the Donald Trump deposition. But first, let's hear some of the audio from today. This is first the fake president, Joe Biden, trying to let the country know that he actually didn't do any crimes. He's not involved with any of the crimes. And unless you can recite them, then he's just Yeah, not involved. You have to be able to say what all the crimes are. And for the record, they are pretty well documented in the report on the Biden laptop by Marco Polo. But Biden's supporters don't know that, which means Biden can say the thing that his supporters do know and they will think he's right. So he just repeats the television and the television repeats him. It goes back and forth. All of his supporters, the television audience, believe there's no way that both of those parties are lying, even though they are certain that Donald Trump and all of the anti-Biden media are lying. It's not possible that they're the bad guys, even though they are right now, continuing to support actual Nazis in Ukraine. But let's hear from the fake president.
1: The thing that, that I have trouble trying to figure out is what it is that, other than protecting the Constitution, what is it that these mega Republicans think is extreme about what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. They haven't been, I mean, I haven't heard, seen any articulation of any of that. The thing that, that I have trouble trying to figure out is...
0: What is it that they believe I've done other than loving the Constitution too hard? If I'm guilty of anything, it is loving the Constitution too hard. Joe Biden is wondering what makes him a criminal? What makes him extreme? Which of his policies are extreme? Please recite them or else they don't exist. So Joe Biden is innocent of all of it. And aside from that, he is a very moderate Democrat, just as he sold himself to the American public. He is a moderate Democrat, he told people, not an extreme leftist. And you can tell because there's so much racism in his background. That means he must be a moderate. But let's hear from communist prosecutor Letitia James before the trial started today
1: persistent and repeated fraud. Last week, we proved that in our motion for summary judgment. Today, uh, we will prove our other claims. My message is simple. No matter how powerful you are, no matter how much money you think you may have, no one is above the law. And it is my responsibility and my duty and my job to enforce it. The law is both powerful and fragile. And today in court, we will prove our case. I thank you all for being here. And again, justice will prevail. Thank you.
0: So this is the woman who is on video multiple times saying that she is going to get Trump if she is elected. That was her goal as district attorney. She would go on in there and she would get Trump. He has committed fraud, she says, and it was proven in court last week. So what is she talking about there? Well, here it is covered last week in the Epoch Times. This was from the 29th, explaining the $18 million Mar-a-Lago valuation by New York Trump case judge. If Mar-a-Lago is worth 18000000 million, I'll take 10, please. Donald Trump Jr., an executive vice president of Trump Organization, wrote on X, formerly known as Twitter. Judge Arthur Engeron implied the market value of the property in a September 26th summary ruling that found president Trump's business empire liable for fraudulently inflating property values in loan paperwork. He revoked the Trump organization's business licenses in the state and ordered it dissolved. So the judge decides how much Mar-a-Lago is worth $18 million. And then he says that because of that valuation, Donald Trump overstated the value of Mar-a-Lago in loan paperwork a decade ago, and now Trump has committed fraud and his business licenses are removed. His business, the Trump organization ordered dissolved. Sounds totally normal. President Trump's lawyers argue that the banks providing the loans didn't care about the valuations produced by the company because they do their own. All the loans have or are being properly repaid with interest. They noted. The judge ruled, however, that under New York law, the state can sue for inflated property values even if nobody was harmed by them. So the claim here is that Trump overstated the values on a series of properties to the bank while trying to procure loans from those banks. The idea being that if Trump overstates the value and the bank goes with the overstated value, then the loan value might be higher And then Donald Trump would rip them off somehow at some point, even though he paid back the loans. It makes absolutely no sense, but they are claiming that he fraudulently filed this paperwork. Mar-a-Lago was overvalued by at least 2,300 percent because the Palm Beach County assessor assigned it a market value of $18 million to $27.6 million between 2011 and 2021 while the Trump Organization valued it at $426,529,614 to $612,110,496 on its statements of financial condition in those same years, the judge said. There are problems with using either of the valuations. They note that President Trump's lawyers presented a real estate expert, Lawrence Moen's, who they purport is the most accomplished and knowledgeable ultra high net worth real estate broker in Palm Beach, Florida, the judge said. His dominance of one of the country's richest real estate markets is total, a 2022 real deal profile of the secretive realtor said, noting that he closed perhaps $1 billion worth of deals in just the 18 months of the COVID-19 pandemic real estate mania. Valuing Mar a Lago at four hundred twenty five million to six hundred twelve million was, quote, appropriate and indeed conservative. mister Moens told the court the property is currently worth one point five one billion dollars, he opined. The judge rejected the opinion as speculative and made as quote without relying on any objective evidence. The property isn't currently for sale and the family has indicated it doesn't plan to ever sell, according to the Trump family. So the most powerful real estate broker who deals with ultra high net worth individuals in that exact real estate market is being framed as unreliable by this judge because he said, actually, Trump has underestimated the value of Mar-a-Lago by potentially three times. Trump saying it's 425 to 612 million and Moens says it's 1.51 billion. So even at the high end of Trump's estimation, it's still 2.5x that, according to the guy who is more likely to know than maybe anyone on the planet. The president's son, Eric Trump, said the real estate circles in Florida are laughing at this foolishness. He pointed to real estate listings from the area showing homes ranging 5,000 to 11,500 square feet and farther from the beach than Mar-a-Lago, listed at prices up to $40 million. Now, those are probably very nice and extravagant houses, extraordinary by any relative standard, except relative to Mar-a-Lago, which is itself a one-of-a-kind property, which at some point may just be deemed priceless. But we're meant to pretend that it is worth no more than a standard rich person's house in Palm Springs or Malibu or Brentwood. $18 million for Mar-a-Lago. Who would even take that seriously? Now let's go through some of Trump's deposition in this case. As I said, I covered this on Twitter uh, a month ago, September 2nd. The deposition itself is about 480 pages long, if I remember correctly. And I think I went through 300 or maybe 320 pages of it. I didn't end up finishing it. But I started out by saying this Trump testimony is fun. They ask him a question and he goes into elaborate stories. It's like reading Art of the Deal. And it really, really is like reading Art of the Deal. He ends up talking about all of these properties he acquired and how he acquired them and what he did to them and how that changes their value in a real estate sense. And you can see as you can in Art of the Deal, or if you ever take Donald Trump seriously and actually listen to him, he knows exactly what he's talking about. And he has a wealth of experience and knowledge in this particular field. And so I enclosed a screenshot, as I do in many of these posts. And Trump said in this transcribed deposition, when I bought Mar-a-Lago, I paid $8 million for it. And today I think we're going to be bringing in people that will tell you it's worth 000, 250, billion and a billion to maybe more than that. But I bought it for $8 million in 1985 or so. So the property he bought for $8 million 40 years ago is now only worth $18 million. That's what the judge is saying. Despite the fact that Trump notes pretty clearly back when, back when this deposition was taken, which is April 13th, 2023, that they would be bringing in people that would attest to the fact that that property is worth between $1,250,000,000 and $1.5 billion, not $18 million. It's preposterous. Now, throughout the deposition, there is a lot of verbal sparring between Donald Trump and Letitia James's attorney who's conducting the deposition. Donald Trump knows the facts and he has the truth on his side. And the people from Letitia James's office are trying to get Donald Trump to talk himself into a corner, and he doesn't do it. For someone we are consistently told is the very stupid guy and the reckless speaker who never knows what he's talking about, he sure doesn't put himself into any of the corners. He recognizes them as they bring them up and he responds appropriately. So the questioner in these situations is a man named Kevin Wallace. And of course, Letitia James notes in her open of this deposition that Donald Trump has the right to claim the fifth amendment and not do the testimony thereby not incriminating himself. And he declines happy to represent himself. So the questioner Wallace says, I'm going to suggest like, you know, I know you feel the need to explain this, but Trump cuts him off and says, no, I want to explain it to you because you don't have a case and you should drop this case. And it's a shame that somebody that's done such a good job, the convention center in New York, so many things I did for this city, the job in the West side of Manhattan, thousands of people employed. And now I have to come justify myself to you. And all of that is true." Donald Trump was a major developer in New York City, a major asset to that city. Donald Trump is one of the most famous New Yorkers who has ever existed. And here he is with some low-level attorney beneath Letitia James in the New York District Attorney's Office, trying to explain real estate values to someone who has no idea what they're talking about. I wrote, reality proves their case absurd. Trump says... I think we now have the benefit of knowing that the statement when I did it was probably low because of the fact that a number of years later, not that long later, the properties are worth substantially more. In other words, if I have down a property for a million dollars and today it's worth three million dollars, that meant that this statement was low, not high. You're saying it was high. It was low because it turned out to be that the property's worth much more than the statement. And that is pretty irrefutable logic. Real estate values are based on future values. They're assessing a piece of property based on how much they think the market could fetch for that particular property. If Donald Trump says it's worth a million dollars and 10 years later, it's worth three million dollars then he can't possibly have overstated the value back then because the value has increased beyond where he stated it would be. And that is one of the most critical facts in this trial, but not the most important. And I'm just going to jump between my posts here. You can find all of this thread on X, formerly Twitter, and in the info stream on Telegram, t.me slash veryreasonable. I did repost this again today, but this is from September 2nd. I wrote, we don't deserve him. The context is the lawyer keeps allowing Trump to speak and thinking he's going to nail Trump on something. Trump is treating Letitia James's team like the clowns they are. Trump says, but if I sold Doral as a group, so you are going to let me go on hoping that I make a mistake and that's okay. That's the way it is. Perry Mason, Perry Mason. And the questioner Wallace says, the rule is I'm supposed to let you talk. Trump says, hey, I caught Biden making a mistake when he said, when he said he's going to close up gas at the end of the debate, I said, that was Perry Mason. Unfortunately, the election was rigged. So here's the story. Are you ready? I mean, he is hilarious. Just putting the rigged election, adding in the debate on top of it, just a Perry Mason reference that leads him down these other paths. And now that narrative is in this trial. The election being rigged wouldn't seem like it, Has anything to do with this trial just right off the bat, but down the road, who knows? The lawyers tried to go after Trump and get Trump to talk himself into a corner about the accounting methods and the accounting principles used to come up with these estimates as if Donald Trump is responsible for what the accountants did. Donald Trump basically responds, these are certified public accountants, some of the best firms in the world. I hired them to do the job that I myself am not capable of doing. They gave me the results. How could I possibly be responsible for the work of this accounting agency when the accounting agency is the one with the ethics clauses that apply here? Trump says, we gave information. If the information were short, then Mazars would have asked for more. If they weren't getting everything they wanted, they would have asked for more. They know what GAAP is a lot better than you do or anyone else. So if they needed additional information, they would have asked for it. And GAAP are the accounting principles. If they had any complaints, they would have said, we're not going to do the statement. They did the statement. So they were satisfied. Whether it's GAAP or not GAAP, they were satisfied. And again, same logic here. If he has valued the properties at a certain level and those properties rise 2x or 3x over 10 years, then there's no way he could have overvalued the properties at the time because now they're actually worth a lot more than that. Trump goes on. But then you look at all of these other paragraphs and all of that's negated. And because of the fact that Mazars just didn't know, and frankly, nobody really knew, they didn't know. They wanted to have a statement saying that all of this stuff, everything here is worthless. Read it if you want, but it's worthless. That's why when you say that a bank borrowed money on my statement, and yet they read two pages worth of stuff saying, don't rely on this. It says, don't rely on management. Don't rely on anything right in here as clear as you can. And very good lawyers have told me this is a case that should not have been brought because of the worthless clause. They said, I can't believe it. And when people read this clause, they say, how the hell could they have sued you and put you through this stuff? And so he's talking about what's called a worthless clause, which is a statement that says these estimates are just estimates from our side. This wasn't the result of a thorough assessment and appraisal. These are just estimates of the property's net worths. You being the bank, you, the people considering whether or not to loan me money It is your due diligence to go through and have these buildings appraised so that you know whether or not the values are properly represented and you will not fund loans based on a property that you cannot substantiate yourself. So Donald Trump was asked to list the buildings and the values, and that is what the accounting firm did. But they are going after Donald Trump saying that he overvalued these assets on this form prepared by the accountants, despite the fact that this form also has a two page long worthless clause, which tells the banks everything we're about to say here is worthless. This stuff cannot be verified. This is a list and an estimate. And that is all that really is what's happening here. That is what's happening. here. I go on. This case against Trump is absolutely insane through 140 pages. It's so ridiculous that he's even subjected to this. They keep going around in circles. The lawyers are trying to get Trump to admit that he misrepresented the values of his properties. Their central claim is that he overrepresented their and Trump's value to the bank, even though the properties are all worth far more now than the values on the statements, and he did not include the Trump brand in his valuation at all. Then, Peekaboo James, that's Letitia James, her team tries to claim that. Trump didn't properly address accounting standards, even though the accounting firm preparing the statements received everything they needed, did not note any issues and issued their statement as planned. They're also intentionally overlooking the fact that there is a 1.5 page long worthless clause in the statement that tells the bank at length that they need to do their own appraisals and that nothing in the statement should be considered anything more than a rough estimate. Peekaboo's attorneys are trying to make it about Donald Trump personally, not properly following accounting principles in a statement that is nothing more than a partial list of Trump properties and their rough estimate values, where the statement itself says the numbers are meaningless. These people are insane. And of course they are. Trump says on page 138, I mean, no bank, no bank would make a loan on this document. And yet you're suing me based on this document. And I don't say my lawyers, I say lawyers that have seen this say, this case is a disgrace because you have the strongest worthless clause that they've ever seen, a disclaimer clause that they've ever seen. And you're being sued on a document that disclaims right on the first and second page. He is being sued for fraud about a document with a 1.5 page section saying that that document should not be taken as some sort of hard truth. Look, page one, one, page two, two pages saying that this document is worthless and you're suing me on the fact now, then in addition to that, the numbers turn out to be the exact opposite of what you said, because when you carry this forward eight years, six years, seven years, these numbers turn out to be, they turn out to be actually the exact opposite of what you're saying in the lawsuit. And that's the ultimate appraisal. You know, the ultimate appraisal is, gee, six years later, it's your Doral is worth a fortune. Six years later, Mar-a-Lago quadrupled in value or more. He goes on. In other words, this is saying we don't know what's going to happen in the future, but we're in the future. And I can tell you that the numbers in this statement are the exact opposite of what you sued me for. The questioner Wallace says, I'm going to move on to the next paragraph. Trump just continues. It's the most accurate appraisal I've ever seen because we can now say you have these numbers and now you have a number of years later, not extraordinary number of years later either. Not a lot of years, a number of years later, you have numbers that are much, much higher due to lots of things, including inflation and this and that, but whatever it is, it doesn't make any difference. So these numbers turned out to be the opposite of what you sued me for. Trump goes on. It's nothing near. I'll even take something off. We'll take a little discounting, okay? I know discounting even better than you do. We'll take a little bit off, okay? Because it's not big. But you're talking about numbers that have gone up in some cases many times. I mean, I won't go into specifics now because why should we give you early warnings? But when we testify, we're going to have numbers that are going to knock your socks off. The numbers are very, your numbers are so incorrect. They're actually so low, your numbers. So Trump knows how much his properties are worth And the New York district attorney is just pretending that Trump lied about the values of these properties when the properties are worth more than he had listed in this document. While the document says, don't trust these numbers. And somehow this is being called fraud on Donald Trump's part. I said, it's crazy how stupid this case is. And here is Wallace. Do you know why current tax liabilities aren't listed? Trump says, I don't know, but they mention it. They put it out there. So the bank is now saying, oh, they didn't talk about the tax liability. Oh, they didn't. So the bank, if they're going to use this statement, here's what's going to happen. The bank is going to look at this and they're going to say, all right, let's throw this thing out. Wallace said, who made the decision not to include tax liability? Do you know? And Trump says, probably either Mazars or the accountants. I don't know. Probably certified public accountants. The accountants, meaning people at Mazars, Trump says, by the way, they list it here. It's not like they don't list it. They list everything in the kitchen sink here because they want a bank to know. You said I defrauded banks, even though they got 100% of their money. They got 100% of their money and they took in approximately $280 million of profit. And you're suing them instead of going after violent criminals. So basically everyone did fine on these deals. Trump didn't defraud anyone. He didn't rip anyone off. The banks made a great deal. Trump made a great deal. The real estate values are for far more than Trump listed in these documents. The documents were prepared by certified public accountants, very expensive professional accountants. They didn't have any problem with what Trump turned over. They didn't have any problem making the statement and the whole statement had a worthless clause letting the banks know that these are just a rough estimate from their perspective and not something the bank should work off of. The bank has to go out and do its own appraisals of these properties. I wrote, it's amazing, isn't it? That while they're always saying Trump is stupid and reckless and dishonest, they've never actually gotten him on anything. They're not getting him on any of this either because it's all nonsense and the indictments are fake. This is Trump speaking. That's why we have law firms. You know, we have law firms that do this. In addition to accounting firms and this particular firm, we also have law firms that do this. They do their own form of audit. But look, after 11 million documents and years and years of harassing me, they came up with nothing. They came up with nothing. And as a friend of mine said, you must be the most honest man in the world. I believe 11 million pages, but a lot. And you've gone over them and so have others. And friends of mine have said, you are the most honest person in the world. So we've done a good job. Don't get credit for it. That's okay. There's an interesting point where Trump's lawyer, Mr. Kies, is arguing with Kevin Wallace from Letitia James's office. He says, are you asking the witness to guess? Wallace says, I'm asking if he knows, Chris. If the answer is no, he can answer no. Clearly a guess since he's not seen the thing for 10 years. Wallace responds, do you want to testify for him for the rest of the day, Chris? Mr. Kais says, I don't, but we're here going over statements of other people that he's already told you he has. You're getting the same answers to the same questions over and over again. And you keep wanting to read out except to the extent noted. I mean, it's just, you can do it. It's your seven hours. And Trump's lawyer points out that this is a total and complete waste of time. He's going through the same things over and over again, expecting to get another answer so that he can get Donald Trump to talk himself into a corner. Later, Trump talks about what's happening in New York City and why Letitia James is going after him and not the crime that runs rampant in one of America's formerly great cities. Trump says, I think it's the greatest house in New York state in a phenomenal location in the Bedford area, which is, you know, the highest income area. And I could see this house being worth numbers like that based on the I mean, based on the fact that I bought Mar-a-Lago for very little. And now it's worth almost more than any, I guess, more than any other property in the country of its kind. So I could see this happening, too, if New York got its act together and was able to solve the crime problem, the tax problem, etc., etc. I think this house would be worth a number like this, actually. And Trump is talking about his Seven Springs property in New York. He says, and the people I sold it to subdivided it and it went through the years. Always said it was easier if they held it and sold it. This was called the Gossman estate. I bought it for about $41 million and I sold it for approximately $100 million. And I feel that Seven Springs is the same thing. I think it's the best house in New York. I may be wrong, but I think it's probably the most outstanding home in New York between location and the property itself. It was owned by the owners of the Washington Post, the Graham family, her father. It was Catherine Graham's family, was an immensely wealthy man. He bought the Washington post and gave it to her as a trinket. It was really a trinket and she did a good job with it. Not so good lately as the expression goes, but the point is this was a very AJ Hines, Henry Hines lived there. Catherine Graham's father lived there who again was one of the biggest, one of the biggest oil barons, coal barons, maybe the biggest. And there's no place like this. If New York came back, this would be another Mar-a-Lago. I just think it's more valuable as a whole. And so the Hineses, of course, are the Hines catch up family, the family whose descendant is Teresa Hines, wife of John Kerry. Trump goes on to needle the media outlet Forbes a little bit. The questioner, Kevin Wallace, says if you flip through the note from Mr. Randall or Mr. Lane, says, Hope, Rona, enclosed, please find the Forbes cover which looks amazing. And the two cover stories that go with it, please share with Mr. Trump. Thank you for all your time and attention over the past week. Know how things are crazy busy there best Randall. And so an article was sent to the Trump organization on behalf of this guy, Randall. And Trump says, this must have been before the Chinese bought Forbes. Oh, well, which is hilarious. Wallace goes on asking, did anyone discuss with you in 2015 the fact that the reported price for Seven Springs was dropping from $291 million to $56 million? Trump's lawyer, Mr. Kyes, said, object to the form. That's just not accurate. I'm sorry, but if you look on page 25, I mean, that's just a, the foundation of that question is inaccurate. You're trying to get him in gotcha questions and it's just not acceptable. Look at page 25, seven Springs is listed there at a totally different number. And the funny thing is that we're talking about a situation, the real estate situation where the value of these properties is what they would be prospectively worth to a new buyer who may or may not exist. Now, the real estate guys are brought in to say, I actually do have buyers that would be happy to purchase this property for these numbers. And that's what we heard that guy Moen's saying about Mar-a-Lago. He said in that article that he could imagine leaders of state kings, Elon Musk types would line up to buy Mar-a-Lago if it were on the market, even if it were valued at one point five billion dollars. The lawyer, Mr. Wallace, at one point notes that Seven Springs is the Mar-a-Lago of the North, to which Trump agrees. Trump later notes that Silver Springs is a federal landmark, so you can't exactly just tear it down. And these really are interesting properties, aren't they? a federal landmark, and Donald Trump owns it, the Mar-a-Lago of the North. Well, Mar-a-Lago is the White House of the South. They call it the Winter White House. So I guess Seven Springs would be the White House of the North, the Summer White House. How does Donald Trump come to own all of these extravagant properties that are really just one of a kind in the world? Trump says later, talking about Aberdeen, Aberdeen is a very rich city. It's the oil capital of Europe, as you probably have heard. It's where the North Shore oil is. And when oil goes up, Aberdeen prices go wild. We have a site. I don't know exactly. It's close to 2000 acres. I'm not exactly sure. It's on the ocean. And it's really incredible. And if and when I want to build housing there, which I'm in no rush to do, to be honest with you. I'm not looking. Sometimes we play with zoning, but we have a lot of houses that would be saleable for good prices. So I don't know how they valued it. We also have, we built one course, which is a great course, which is one of the highest rated courses anywhere in the world. These are the largest dunes, among the largest dunes in the world. It's called SSSI. That's highly regulated from the standpoint of the environment. It's very hard to get anything approved on it. And I was able to get not one, but two. In fact, We're going to be starting a second golf club over the next few weeks. I was able to get two. It took a long time to get them, especially in that area, because that's down by the dunes. That's on the ocean. And when you go back inland, it's, you know, much easier getting the housing and stuff, basic flatlands. But the dunes are very protected, environmentally protected. Trump goes on. I can sort of say thanks to Sean Connery. The actor who was Scottish and very respected, we were able to get zoning for the two courses and other things. And I think we're going for zoning for more, but anything I have, I can get more. They, anything we are zoned for, I believe I could get more. So it's a question of, do you want larger lots or smaller lots? Or how do you want to do it? But I'm in no rush to build any of this stuff. You know, same thing in Bedford. And by the way, on Bedford, we have, you talked about the two entrances, but the entrance you want is the Bedford entrance. You have Newcastle and Northcastle, etc. And we have that. We have the Bedford entrance. But so on this, they raised it. Don't know, except that it's a great piece of land. It's one of the top rated golf courses in the world. I'm building another one that's going to be comparable. It will start very soon. And it's a very valuable piece of land. Nobody thought that I could get the zoning on the ocean for the golf because it's the most protected. It's among the most protected pieces of land in Europe. And it's been great but I'm in no rush to get it. I'm in no rush to build houses in Scotland. And so he is making the case that all of these are not only extraordinary, one of a kind properties. He's saying that he and he alone has the ability to develop on these lands and that he may at some point do that which will only raise the values of these properties further. There is no way that the value of any of these properties could possibly be below what was stated in that form that he noted and the accountants noted should not be taken as declaration of fact. It is only a rough estimate and nothing more. The document starts with a page and a half of them explaining how the banks should not take these estimates to be declarations of the value. They are just estimates from their perspective. And just a couple more posts here so you can get the full context before we wrap this up. Trump discusses the building of wind farms off the coast and says it was crazy. And it's a great course considered one of the greatest courses, old and beautiful. And I protested it. I said, ridiculous. And they did too, but they built a wind turbine. It's had no impact on the course, not my course. It's their course, but I think it's inappropriate. They're doing all over the United States. They're doing it in our oceans. They're probably killing whales, which are washing up to the shore, which nobody has ever seen before. Many whales are coming in where they're doing it up in New England. No, I'm not a fan of wind. It's very expensive energy. And I think it's very bad environmentally. And of course, he's right about that. He talks consistently about the graveyard of birds that exists. Beneath each one of these wind turbines. And it is also true that the blades of these wind turbines have to be consistently replaced and they are just put in the ground in landfills. They don't biodegrade. They're filled with chemicals and we are actually polluting the earth more through the use of these wind turbines. Trump goes on to talk about his Jupiter property. It's an interesting real estate deal that I did there. It's hundreds of acres in Jupiter, which is one of the hottest communities in Florida, if not the hottest. I mean, it's incredible right next to Palm Beach. A large percentage of PGA touring professionals live in Jupiter. It's a great golf course and a great clubhouse and a great community. And what I did in Jupiter is I paid very little for it because I assumed a liability of the membership payback. You understand I assumed? Yes. And again, I had my son doing it because if I'm a little bit inaccurate, I hope you will excuse me. But you basically have a certain number of members, all of whom put up money. It's a thing that's very common in clubs and especially golf clubs where you put up money and at the end of 25 or 30 years, you agree to pay them back the money. So therefore, it's in the form of a loan. So everybody wanted to buy this property. Jack Nicholas. everybody wanted to. It was actually Jack Nicholas's designed course. It's right next to the Bear course, which is a great course in Florida. They're right next to each other. Very successful both. And this is very successful. So what some places do, and this was one of them, is they will sell a membership for 250, 300, 200, whatever it might be, $1,000. And they agree to pay the people back at the end of 25 or 30 years. In other words, you're getting your money back. So it's in the form of a loan. And it's basically a zero interest loan. So the previous people, which was one of the hotel companies, the Ritz Carlton, I think, and it sits on the books as a liability. I went to the members when I bought it. So I bought it very inexpensively. It's worth a lot of money. And I said, I bought it, I think for $5 million for a very small amount, but I assumed the liability. And so what he's saying there is that all of that money invested by the club members in the future expansion of that club, that was basically given over as a loan. And Trump is saying that when he came into that deal, it was not only the value he paid for the property, but he also assumed the liability to pay back all of those members who put in 200 or 250 or $300,000. So what we can see is Donald Trump knowing the ins and outs of each and every one of these real estate deals. He knows why the properties are valuable, and he's able to explain it at length, giving examples and comparisons. And he is airtight in terms of the accountants and in terms of the worthless clause and in terms of the fact that all of the values have risen. So it's impossible that he overstated them back then based on the current emergent reality. So let's just go through a couple of more and we'll close this out. Trump says on page 277, it's so many years ago. Again, I don't, I don't mind this, but at what point does the statute of limitations come in? I mean, we're going back years ago on stuff. That's it's amazing that I can remember all this stuff. It's so old. And again, all of these questions are about real estate deals that happened like a decade ago. And Trump is just reciting all of this stuff. They're asking him all of these questions, hoping he slips up. And he is pointing out here that the statute of limitations should apply. And that the idea that the New York district attorney is going after him for any of this is outside the bounds of the law in so many different ways. But Trump continues. And I don't understand. Am I the only one in the United States of America that doesn't have a statute of limitations clause? It doesn't make, it just doesn't make sense. Every deal we're talking about is from 10 years ago. You know, I thought we had a three year statute of limitations on this stuff. It's, you know, look, I know you don't care, but it's very unfair. It's very unfair. You are going to go back into ancient history and they're all good. And they're much different than what you thought. You thought you were going to scam me, but I tell you, it's very, very unfair what you're doing. So they thought they were going to get Trump on all of this. They're not going to get Trump on any of this. If the judge decides against Trump, then Trump has opened up all of these various avenues for appeal and to win on appeal. It is incredibly amusing watching people freak out in their get Trump efforts, thinking that this is finally that silver bullet they've been seeking for so long. And it just isn't. If you're an honest person reading any of this and understanding what he's saying here and what his lawyers are saying, then there is absolutely no cause whatsoever to assume that Donald Trump committed fraud in the production of these statements. And they should not be going after him at all because the statute of limitations has expired. And this is the final Trump post I will share. And then on top of it, I have, it's like, just go back anywhere you want. This is a thing called statute of limitations. And I think my lawyers like that, but nobody ever brings it up. I mean, you're talking about 2011, 2000. It doesn't seem to make sense to me. I'll be honest with you. If you, and Wallace cuts in your lawyers, I'll just, I'm not going to spend too much on the record on this. Trump says, if you would spend this kind of time and effort in fighting violent crime, you would make Seven Springs very valuable because people would come back into New York. This state is absolutely in trouble. So let's get some of the response today from the Trump side. This is attorney Jesse Benal.
2: World to communicate to the American people, because at the end of the day, this isn't a real trial. This is a judge who's made up his mind. This is this is a show trial. Um, and we don't live right now in places like New York City, in a place where the, the rule of law truly controls here. And so Donald, uh, this judge decided to interject himself very purposefully into a presidential uh, debate, into a presidential campaign right now. And so President Trump, recognizing that this is, uh, this is really what they're doing, is they're coming after him to try to keep him from getting elected president again. That's what this is all about. Um, I, I think he purposely and and very appropriately made his voice heard. And as we look at this this image of the judge, I've never seen anything more inappropriate in my life of, of this judge uh, being, you know, s- uh, smiling like the cat that got the canary here um, because he his political wish has come true uh, so far for this case. But this is a legally baseless order that he has already entered. We know what he's going to do after the fact. It's going to be more... Uh, legally basis uh, arguments and, and uh, uh, decisions from this judge that I am confident that at the end of the day will be reversed by uh, the courts of appeal. And what the previous guest said is simply not true about the fact that it doesn't matter if anybody relied um, in a criminal case on fraud. There's something called materiality. And so first of all, I don't think there's any evidence at all that there were misstatements on these forms. But the fact that no bank is shown to have relied on those and that everybody was paid back showed that anything that they could possibly rely on is not actually material. Um, And so regardless if if it's a a civil case, a criminal case, whatever it might be, uh, here in this case, um, it it is, I think, very, very clear uh, that this uh, the, what we are saying is a total um, politically based case by a political attorney general in front of a political judge.
0: There isn't actually any part of this case that holds up, but that's not the point. The point is that the regime is showing everyone it can do what it wants. It can imprison its political opponents if it wants. And if they can do it to Donald Trump, they can certainly do it to me and you. And we don't have to believe in the validity of these cases. We don't have to be scared about the long-term outcome of these trials to understand and to learn that lesson. This is what political regimes are capable of when the people stop paying attention, when it's impossible to hold people accountable through elections, and when we fail to recognize the existence of a uniparty because we are too caught up talking about political parties. The Republicans aren't saving you from any of this. They're not saving Donald Trump from any of this. Ron DeSantis, campaign and supporters are trying to mock Trump supporters and Trump himself by saying that he's wasting all of their donor money on the defense for these cases, while he is also defending other people from an entire range of unjust pursuit through the legal system they're not there to defend Trump. Are they really there to defend you? Is Ron DeSantis going to stand up for you or for anyone? Clearly not. He can't even be honest about elections at this point. So here's Donald Trump with his comments before entering the courtroom today.
1: This is a continuation of the single greatest witch hunt of all time. We have a rogue judge who rules that properties are worth a tiny fraction, one 100th, a tiny fraction of what they actually are. We have a racist attorney general who's a horror show. who ran on the basis that she was going to get Trump before she even knew anything about me. She used this to run for governor. She failed in her attempt to run for governor. She had virtually no polling. She came back and she said, well, now I'll go back to get Trump again. And this is what we have. It's a scam, it's a sham. Just so you know, my financial statements are phenomenal. They are actually less, in terms of the numbers used, than the actual net worth. The actual net worth is substantially more. No bank was affected, no bank was hurt. They don't even know why they have to be involved. And they've so testified. They can't believe that they're involved because they were paid back on time. There were no defaults, there were no problems. And it was like a perfect client. In the meantime, people are being murdered all over the sidewalks of New York. There was no victim here. The banks were represented by the best, biggest, most prestigious law firms in the state of New York, actually in the country. Some of the biggest and best law firms, in all cases, the biggest and best law firms. That's who represented them. The banks got back their money. Again, there was never a default. There was never a problem. Everything was perfect. There was no crime. The crime is against me, because we have a corrupt district attorney, but we have a corrupt attorney general. And it all comes down from the DOJ. They're totally coordinated. this in Washington because I'm leading. I'm the leading candidate. I'm leading Biden by 10 points. And I'm leading the Republicans by 50 and 60 points. That's pretty much, they say, over. I never accept that, but they say it's over. This has to do with election interference, plain and simple. They're trying to damage me so that I don't do as well as I'm doing in the election. Our country's gone to hell. We have a country that's in decline, serious decline. We have a man running our country who has no clue, doesn't know what he's doing, and you know it better than anybody because you have to cover him. What they've done with open borders, what they've done with interest rates and taxes, it's a disgrace. So what we have here is an attempt to hurt me in an election. It's an attempt to hurt me in an election. This never happened before, where President of the United States leaves office and gets indicted. And the reason I got indicted was that I ran. If I didn't run, I'd be sitting right now at a beach like Biden does every time, even though he's supposed to be working. So very simply put, it's a witch hunt. It's a disgrace. We have a corrupt Attorney General in this state. You see how she does? This trial was railroaded and fast-tracked. This trial could have been brought years ago, but they waited till I was right in the middle of my campaign. The same with other trials and indictments. It's all run by DOJ, which is corrupt in Washington. Everything goes through them. They're all corrupt people. Frankly, our country is corrupt. And that's one of the reasons I'm running. We're going to straighten it out. They have one property that's worth Anywhere from 50 to 100 times what this judge put down as a value. Put down a value, $18 million, and the property's probably worth could be anywhere from 50 to 100 times more than that. And a lot of those numbers could even be low. We have other properties, the same thing. So he devalued everything. I didn't even put in my best asset, which is the brand, in terms of value. Coca-Cola, take a look at their value. They have a value... The value of their brand is more than everything else put together. My brand is extremely valuable. I didn't even use it in my financials. If I wanted to build up a financial statement, I would have built it up by using brand in addition to everything else. We have the greatest properties. We have among the greatest properties in the world, and I have to go through this for political reasons. This judge is a politician. He comes out of the clubs. He's running unopposed. The reason he's unopposed is because he's getting Trump they always run opposed he's getting Trump the bosses say don't run against this guy he's doing great he's getting Trump but he overplayed his hand and he should be investigated for what he's done what he did in undervaluing these properties is a disgrace to our nation this shouldn't be a case one other thing we have a clause in the contract which tells essentially buyer beware the contract is very, very, if you take a look and you speak to the banks, and you will, I hope you speak to the banks, because the banks got paid in full. I hope you speak to the banks. But we have a clause in the contract. It's like a buyer beware clause. It says, when you take a look at the financial statement, don't believe anything you read. This is up front. Don't believe anything you read. Some people call it a worthless clause because it makes the statement and anything you read in the statement worthless it says go out and do your own research go out and do your own due diligence you have to study the statement carefully do not believe anything in fact it's so strong that people read it and they don't even (laughs) accept it they don't even want it they don't even use it it's called a disclaimer clause it's very common If you put it in, if you don't have time to do statements, or even if you do have time, people like to have it. This is what's called a full disclaimer. We disclaim the financial statements. But even with a full disclaimer, which immediately takes you out of any fraud situation and any litigation, and by the way, when the Attorney General found out about the disclaimer, she said, that's okay, let's go forward anyway. It's good publicity. These are corrupt people we're dealing with. The most corrupt people. We have a great company. I built a great company. It's got tremendous value. It's got some of the greatest real estate assets in the world. And now I have to go before a rogue judge as a continuation of Russia, 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 as a continuation of the greatest witch hunt of all time. And I don't think the people of this country are going to stand for it. If I weren't leading in all the polls, or if I weren't running, I wouldn't have any of these cases, I wouldn't be seeing you this morning, but I'll be seeing a lot of you, because this is a horrible thing that's happening to our country, and we've got to get it straightened away. So we'll go in and see our rogue judge, and we'll listen to this man, and uh, I think most people get it. People are getting it. I can tell you the voters getting it, because every time they give me a fake indictment, I go up in the polls, and that's never happened before. But this is a disgrace. And you got to go after this attorney general because she's turning off everybody from coming in. You know, I don't know if you take a look at the outflow of business. Businesses are fleeing New York because of horrible, horrible attorney generals and judges like we have. They go to other places where they can be treated fairly and with respect. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you. Thank you.
0: And apologies earlier, I know that I was referring to Letitia James as the district attorney, conflating her with Alvin Bragg. She is the New York attorney general, just to be clear about that. So Donald Trump presents the case right there. This is the sort of thing the American public is going to hear when they learn about this case. They will realize that this case is preposterous. There are going to be some communists who simply don't care. They believe that Donald Trump has committed crimes despite their total inability to talk about what crimes Donald Trump has committed. And it makes it extra funny that Joe Biden is out there saying, what have I done? What do the American people think that I've done besides loving this constitution too hard? They think I'm an extremist. They think I committed crimes with my son just because there is an extensive record and a full evidentiary basis for believing that I have committed crimes with my son. Oh, that's crazy. You can't list any of them except for me loving the Constitution too hard. Well, if people inform themselves about any of these Donald Trump indictments, all of that goes away in people's minds pretty quickly. And it ultimately doesn't matter once the awakening process continues and once it really reaches that critical mass, let's say, it really doesn't matter what the decisions in the courts are. Everybody is going to know that Donald Trump was unjustly prosecuted. And when the decisions go against him, they will see that as a furthering of the injustice. And that is the entire point. You don't have to be worried about Donald Trump's future or the future of the country to understand the example that is being shown to us and help others to learn this lesson that you have already learned by now. We are seeing all of it on display. Letitia James just mad-dogging Donald Trump from behind. The video of her, she just cannot stop looking at Donald Trump from behind and to the side, just glaring at him for the cameras. And then the cameras turn to this judge the judge realizes the camera's on him. He takes off his glasses and gives a big smile to the camera and then motions to the crowd in the courtroom like, huh, I didn't know that the cameras were on me. I didn't know that this was my special moment, but it is. Oh, it is. You will be remembered forever. Congratulations. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Maston and lockdowns don't work